Chapter Eighteen of Ralph the Heir by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. We won't sell brown rigs. On the tenth of September, the squire was informed that Ralph Newton demanded another ten days for his decision, and that he had undertaken to communicate it by letter on the twentieth. The squire had growled, thinking that his nephew was unconscionable, and had threatened to withdraw his offer. The lawyer, with a smile, assured him that the matter really was progressing very quickly, that things of that kind could rarely be carried on so expeditiously, and that, in short, Mr. Newton had no fair ground of complaint. When a man pays through the nose for his whistle, he ought to get it said the squire, plainly showing that his idea as to the price fixed was very different from that entertained by his nephew, but he did not retract his offer. He was too anxious to accomplish the purchase to do that. He would go home, he said, and wait till the twentieth. Then he would return to London, and he did go home. On the first evening he said very little to his son, he felt that his son did not quite sympathize with him, and he was sore that it should be so. He could not be angry with his son. He knew well that this want of sympathy arose from a conviction on his son's part that, let what might be done in regard to the property, nothing could make him, who was illegitimate, capable of holding the position in the country which of right belonged to Newton of Newton. But the presence of this feeling in the mind of the son was an accusation against himself which was very grievous to him. Almost every act of his latter life had been done with the object of removing the cause for such accusation. To make his boy such as he would have been in every respect, had not his father sinned in his youth, had been the one object of the father's life and nobody gainsayed him in this but that son himself. Nobody told him that all his bother about the estate was of no avail. Nobody dared to tell him so. Parson Gregory, in his letters to his brother, could express such an opinion. Sir Thomas, sitting alone in his chamber, could feel it. Ralph, the legitimate heir, with an assumed scorn, could declare to himself that, let what might be sold, he would still be Newton of Newton. The country people might know it, and the farmers might whisper it one to another, but nobody said a word of this to the squire. His own lawyer never alluded to such a matter, though it was, of course, in his thoughts. Nevertheless, the son, whom he loved so well, would tell him from day to day, indirectly indeed, but with words that were plain enough, that the thing was not to be done. Men and women called him Newton because his father had chosen so to call him, as they would have called him Tompkins or Montmorency had he first appeared before them with either of those names. But he was not a Newton, and nothing could make him Newton of Newton Priory, not even the possession of the whole parish and an habitation in the Priory itself. I wish you wouldn't think about it, the son would say to the father, and the expression of such a wish would contain the whole accusation. 
What other son would express a desire that the father would abstain from troubling himself to leave his estate entire to his child? On the morning after his return, the necessary communication was made, but it was not commenced in any set form. The two were out together, as was usual with them, and were on the road which divided the two parishes, Bostock from Newton. On the left of them was Walker's farm, called the Brownriggs, and on the right Darvell's farm, which was in their own peculiar parish of Newton. "'I was talking to Darvell while you were away,' said Ralph. "'What does he say for himself?' "'Nothing. It's the old story. He wants to stay, though he knows he'd be better away.' "'Then let him stay.' only I must have the place made fit to look at. A man should have a chance of pulling through. Certainly, sir, I don't want him to go. I was only thinking that it would be better for his children that there should be a change. As for making the place fit to look at, he hasn't the means. It's Walker's work at the other side that shames him. One can't have Walker's on every farm, said the squire. No, if things go as I think they will go, we'll pull down every stick and stone at Brumby's. Brumby's was the name of Darvell's farm. And put it up all shipshape. The house hasn't been touched these twenty years. Ralph said nothing. He knew well that his father would not talk of building unless he intended to buy before he built. Nothing could be more opposed to the squire's purposes in life than the idea of building a house which at his death would become the property of his nephew and in this way the estate was being starved all this ralph understood thoroughly and understanding it had frequently expressed a desire that his father and the heir could act in accord together but now the squire talked of pulling down and building up as though the property were his own to do as he liked with and I think I can do it without selling brown rigs, continued the squire. When it came to black and white, the value that he has in it doesn't come to so much as I thought. Still Ralph said nothing, nothing at least as to the work that had been done up in London. He merely made some observation as to Darvell's farm, suggesting that a clear half-year's rent should be given to the man. I have pretty well arranged it all in my mind, continued the squire. We could part with twining. It don't lie so near as Brownrigg's. Ralph felt that it would be necessary that he should say something. Lord Fitzadam would be only too glad to buy it. He owns every acre in the parish except Ingram's farm. There'll be no difficulty about selling it when we have the power to sell. It'll fetch thirty years' purchase. I'd give thirty years' purchase for it at the present rent myself, if I had the money. Lord Fitzadam shall have it, if he pleases, of course. There's four hundred acres of it. Four hundred and nine, said Ralph. And it's worth over twelve thousand pounds. It would have gone against the grain with me to part with any of the land in Bostock. But I think we can squeeze through without that. "'Is it arranged, sir?' asked the son at last. "'Well, no, I can't say it is. "'He is to give me his answer on the twentieth. 
but I cannot see that he has any alternative. He must pay his debts, and he has no other way of paying them. He must live, and he has nothing else to live on. A fellow like that will have money, if he can lay his hands on it, and he can't lay his hands on it elsewhere. Of course he could get money, but he couldn't get it on such terms as I have offered him. He is to have down thirty thousand pounds, and then, after that, I am to pay him whatever more than that they may think the thing is worth to him. Under no circumstances is he to have less. It's a large sum of money, Ralph. Yes, indeed, though not so much as you had expected, sir. Well, no, but then there are drawbacks. However, I shall only be too glad to have it settled. I don't think, Ralph, you have ever realized what it has been for me not to be able to lay out a shilling on the property as to which I was not satisfied I should see it back again in a year or two. And yet, sir, I have thought much about it. Thought? By heavens, I have thought of nothing else. As I stand here, the place has hardly been worth the having to me because of such thinking. Your uncle from the very first was determined to make it bitter enough. I shall never forget his coming to me when I cut down the first tree. Was I going to build houses for a man's son who begrudged me the timber I wanted about the place? He couldn't stop you there. But he said he could, and he tried. And if I wanted to change a thing here or there, was it pleasant, do you think, to have to go to him? And what pleasure could there be in doing anything when another was to have it all? But you have never understood it, Ralph. Well, I hope you'll understand it some day. If this goes right, nobody shall ever stop you in cutting a tree. You shall be free to do what you please with every sod and every branch and every wall and every barn. I shall be happy at last, Ralph, if I think that you can enjoy it. Then there was again a silence, for tears were in the eyes of both the father and the son. Indeed continued the squire as he rubbed the moisture away my great pleasure while i remain will be to see you active about the place as it is now how is it possible that you should care for it but i do care for it and i think i am active about it yes making money for that idiot who is to come after me but i don't think he ever will come I dare say he won't be ashamed to shoot your game and drink your claret if you'll allow him. For the matter of that, when the thing is settled, he may come and drink my wine if he pleases. I'll be his loving uncle then, if he don't object. But as it is now, as it has been, I couldn't have borne him. Even yet there had been no clear statement as to what had been done between father and son. There was so much of clinging, trusting, perfect love in the father's words towards the son that the latter could not bear to say a word that should produce sorrow. When the squire declared that Ralph should have it all free to do just as he pleased with it, with all the full glory of ownership, Ralph could not bring himself to throw a doubt upon the matter, and yet he did doubt, more than doubted, felt almost certain that his father was in error. While his father had remained alone up in town, he had been living with Gregory, and had known what Gregory thought and believed. 
he had even seen his namesake's letter to Gregory, in which it was positively stated that the reversion would not be sold. Throughout the morning the squire went on speaking of his hopes, and saying that this and that should be done the very moment that the contract was signed. At last Ralph spoke out, when on some occasion his father reproached him for indifference. "'I do so fear that you will be disappointed,' he said. "'Why should I be disappointed?' "'It is not for my own sake that I fear, for in truth the arrangement as it stands is no bar to my enjoyment of the place.' "'It is a most absolute bar to mine,' said the squire. "'I fear it is not settled.' "'I know that, but I see no reason why it should not be settled. "'Do you know any reason?' "'Gregory feels sure that his brother will never consent.' "'Gregory is all very well. "'Gregory is the best fellow in the world. "'Had Gregory been in his brother's place, I shouldn't have had a chance.' But Gregory knows nothing about this kind of thing, and Gregory doesn't in the least understand his brother. But Ralph has told him so. Ralph will say anything. He doesn't mind what lies he tells. I think you are too hard on him, said the son. Well, we shall see. But what is it that Ralph has said, and when did he say it? Then the son told the father of the short letter which the parson had received from his brother, and almost repeated the words of it. And he told the date of the letter, only a day or two before the squire's return. Why the mischief could he not be honest enough to tell me the same thing, if he had made up his mind, said the squire angrily. Put it how you will, he is lying either to me or to his brother, probably to both of us. His word either on one side or on the other is worth nothing. I believe he will take my money because he wants money, and because he likes money. As for what he says, it is worth nothing. When he has once written his name, he cannot go back from it, and there will be comfort in that. Ralph had said nothing more. His father had talked himself into a passion, and was quite capable of becoming angry, even with him. So he suggested something about the shooting for next day and propose that the parson should be asked to join them. He may come if he likes, said the squire, but I give you my word that if this goes on much longer I shall get to dislike even the sight of him. On that very day the parson dined with them, and early in the evening the squire was cold and silent, and then snappish. But he warmed afterwards under the double influence of his own port wine and the thorough sweetness of his nephew's manner. His last words as Gregory left him that night in the hall were as follows. Bother about the church. I'm half sick of the church. You come and shoot tomorrow. Don't let us have any new fads about not shooting. There are no new fads, Uncle Greg, and I'll be with you by twelve o'clock, said the parson. He is very good as parsons go, said the squire as he shut the door. He's as good as gold said the squire's son. End of chapter 18 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina